Hey, listener, Zach Harper here. Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Here's how it works. The Pick'em Game. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. How big, you ask? I'm so glad you asked that question, listener. You can win up to 100 times your money in a single night. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick'em entry. You can also do rivals picks. You can put like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson against each other. And whoever has more points, more assists, more rebounds, whatever you want to do, that is your rivals pick. I would maybe go with Jalen Brunson in these playoffs. By the way, in the regular season, Jalen Brunson, scoring tear, going higher on his point totals all the time. Joel Embiid, whenever he did actually play, higher on his scoring totals all the time. Victor Wembanyama for the next 15, 20 years, here's a pro tip for you. Take higher on the blocks. That's right. So you're probably wondering, how do you sign up? Oh my God, listener, you are full of good questions today. Sign up with the promo code DING, that's D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick First time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. $250, man, that's a lot. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our code DING, D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick and first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. Must be 18 or older, 21 or older in Massachusetts, Arizona, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Arizona, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. That's 1-800-639-8783. Or text next step. To 53342. New York, call the 24 7 Hope Line at 1 877 8 Hope and Y or text Hope and Y four six seven three six nine. You spend time with your family? Sure, I do. Good. Because a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. I know this is the right thing to do, Dad, because I would die for this kid just so he wouldn't have to feel one ounce of sadness. That's why you're here right now to protect me, to be scared for me be a good father and that's exactly what I'm going to be hello dad yeah I just wanted to say I love you hi mom could you put down the phone for a second it's front kind to papa hey dad I'd like that. been a while since we have done a dad pod um but we are a going to start doing them again on a weekly basis but i think b there could not be a more relevant time for us to get together and talk because i don't think anything about what's going on in our country um is could be any more relevant than to a parent um because the idea that in seeing someone like George Floyd um, murdered, he was a father. 
he was also somebody's child. Um, and the fact of the matter is, the more and more we're on media, we hear the stories of parents fearing for their children to come home. We hear the stories of how parents have to talk and teach their children. And to say that I am heartbroken would be an understatement. Um, and yet this isn't something that I, I have to have the same fears as other people for my child or as me as a child. But the idea that my friends and other members of my family who are black have to live with this is a scary thought. And it's one that I've been aware of for some time, but things like this make it hit home even more. Uh, So with that said, you know, I, I know this sounds like a weird thing to do, but honestly, there's no person I would like to hear more from than than you, Maury. Uh, oh, I miss oh, talking to you. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, nah, definitely, man. Definitely. I miss talking to y'all too, man. Uh, and Maury, I, I, the floor is yours, man. So it's, it's, it's starting to turn into one of those things where, you know, you see the story and it's like, it's the same story is just like insert name here now. You know what I'm saying? Like now is now is this guy. And the last time, you know, it was that guy or it was this girl or it was this young lady or, you know, whatever. And after a while, it's just like, you know, you this, the same questions you've been asking all, you know, over and over again. Like, you know, like, when is this going to stop or what can we do? Whatever is it. it it's fucked up, you know what I'm saying? Like just for for lack of better words, man, like it's really just fucked up that that you know that the things these things happen and they put these videos out and it's like now we're forced to watch it and see like what's going on when this has been going on forever. It's just now we have more access, you know, to this information and these videos and we're getting like up to date notifications about this like every minute. Um and it is scary, you know, like being being a man, being a black man, being a parent you have to look at your kids and be like, damn, like I, you just hope that never one day you never get that call about your kids. Even, even if it's not something as serious as that, but it's just like, they, they were racially profiled. They discriminated against whatever, but in the back of your head, it's kind of like you have to have that talk with them at a certain point. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and other people just don't have to have those conversations. Like it's foreign to them. It's just like, Oh shit. I didn't, I didn't know that there was a way you had to learn how to deal with the police, but it is. That shit is crazy, man. Like, I'm not. I haven't been on social media in weeks. So when I found out about this this story with George Floyd, like, I I really had to ask, like, is this something new? Like, it can't. Is no. It can't be. Like, it's the same thing every time, man. Like, you 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 out there in the video with your, you know, you got your your knee on the guy's neck. You, like, come on, man. This shit is. Like they might, they feel like they feel like we're being mocked at this point. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, another murder, and there's nothing you can do about it. These cops are gonna get charged with some shit. Who knows if who knows if they'll see jail time? Who knows? Who fucking knows? Like, and it's not. I'm not optimistic about any of it ever because it's like we see this thing all the time, man. And it's just uh, that shit is sad. Mari, did you have that talk with your parents or anyone in your life that? As a child, you had to learn because this is nothing I dealt with. Like I right. didn't, I didn't learn about. Hey, man, if you get pulled over, this is how you got to act, or this is how you have to protect yourself out, outside. Like those are um, questions I never ever had to answer for or learn about when I was a kid because I had that white privilege. 
So my my earliest memory of just police period was like I remember we're standing outside in like you know in our front lawn and the cops was out. It was like a bunch of cops, like maybe like five or six of them. And when they had one of my cousins, just like he was down on the ground, they had him handcuffed. And they were standing around him. And even as a kid, I'm just looking up at the and it felt excessive then. You know what I'm saying? Like just you got two guys that's, you know, one of them handcuffing him, the other one, like, you know, I guess whatever, restraining him, making sure he's standing. Like, bro, he's already handcuffed. He's on his stomach. What more can you do? You know what I'm saying? And this is me as a as a kid. I'm probably like six years old, bro. Like, and it felt excessive because it's like, this is a lot of people for one person. And I remember, like, it's a not a funny story, but it's kind of funny because, you know, I asked my mom, could I cuss? And she was like, "Yeah, like what you mean?" And I and I and I started just like going off on the police because it it just it felt fucked up because like that's my cousin. This is like my older cousin. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I love my cousin, so it's like that could have been anybody. It's just the fact that it was the police doing this shit. I was just like, it was yeah, confusing to me. I was probably like six. Yeah, you can I might count have been like when you're six. six. Years old. You can count six officers and one person who's already been detained. Yeah, like, and it doesn't and take and an adult to see what's wrong with that. Exactly. It's fucked. It, and that's what I'm saying. And I always go back to that story because it really confused me because that could have been five random people just on him and I would have felt the same way. But the fact that it was the police confused me because in my head, up to that point, you've been told that the police are here to protect and, and serve and, you know, it, you should aspire to be one of them. But I'm looking at them like, this? Like that, that is what I'm supposed to, nah. So you already grow up when you talk about having that talk, you already grow up with a bad taste in your mouth from that. So it's like, why would I want to be this? Why would I think that anything about this is good? You know what I'm saying? Like, why? Why would I, and and even when things happen in the neighborhood, why would I want to help them out? When they come to the neighborhood and asking for, you know, uh, help or, you know, tips on, oh, who did this? Why would I want to help you? You know, helping you might be the right thing to do, but I don't want to help you because this uniform and this badge and that car is a bad thing around here. So you grow up with that. So it's like, yeah, you got to be told, listen, you ever get stopped by the police, you know, and, and you know, my parents never like just like sat me down one day, like, listen, this is how you do it. But just in passing, just having those conversations, it's like, yeah, man, you know, cops, you know, they do whatever they want, you know, so just make sure you make, make sure you're not giving them a reason. You know what I mean? Basically, that's, you know, that's basically how my, my mom, my pops kind of gave it to me. Like, just make sure you ain't giving them a reason because they don't need one anyway, but just make sure you're not nothing extra. You're not trying to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. One of the things that struck me about George Floyd and you got on it a little bit earlier is like, why him? What is this old? Is this new? Like, I, I've been away from social media for a while. So this could be an old video or a new video. Yeah. And I, and as you're talking about that, I'm trying to think to myself, why, why this one? Right. Why, th- why this one? Because we've seen, um, so many videos before, but this one seems to have struck, uh, struck a chord. This one's different. And I think it's, I think it's what Steven Jackson talked about. And I think, uh, when he went on the today show, Steven Jackson, my guy, mm. um, yeah, yeah. 14 year NBA veteran, one of the realest dudes in the NBA. I mean, if yeah. you want to talk about dudes who have the biggest respect rating in the NBA, like yeah, Steven Jackson yeah, is just at the top there. of that list, right? Absolutely. He's right at the top of that list. So yeah. he comes out and says, 
on on his Instagram that this is it, he knows George, George Floyd. He and George Floyd go way back. In fact, George Floyd, um, they used to call each other twin because they looked so alike. Yeah, and yeah. and then I was like, oh man, this this is somebody, right? In a way that I think so, other people didn't think that this was this was just a a, a random person. And I felt myself right. checking my privilege in a moment where I was like. Wait, this is someone I know. His friend, and right. so, so the degree, the degree away from George Floyd, and the second thing was, to me, when he starts calling out for his mother, and calling out for his children, George Floyd, when yeah. he's got his his a knee to his neck and he can't breathe, and he's calling out to his mother, that's one thing. It's another to realize that his mother passed away two years ago. Right. So this is a man who is so desperate that he's calling out to the heavens for help. And if he can't get anyone to help him, but he's calling out for his, his, his mother who has passed away. I mean, this, this is so deep. It hits to the core of humanity. And not only was it Steven Jackson's friend, but it also, I think hit people on a different level of just the sheer, uh, excessiveness of the eight minutes. And yeah. it's something that Steven Jackson talked about, which is the cop had his hands in his pockets and was smirking at the camera. Yeah. I think there's two parts to every instance like this, right? One is a visibility. How many people are going to see it, hear about it thing. And the fact that you add a celebrity of any sort to it makes it bigger, right? We just always hear anything that happens with celebrities makes it bigger. But I think what, actually unify it for a moment. It was like a day where I think there was as close to universal alignment on a racial issue as there has been in the last 30 years. And that was because I think with this, nobody could watch that video and see anything that felt appropriate, right? Like it was whether like the, the 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 thing that made this interesting is one right even if the crime was a crime right even if he was beating somebody up right. the, what made this so different and honestly it made Ahmad Arbery similarly different when the video came out was that it felt so unbelievably excessive. And then the nature and callousness of which the people who perpetrated it had, right? Like, and also, lastly, like, whether in this case it was four on one, three on one, but I think that the lasting image of one man, like, we all know, like, in basketball, where, where this whole thing started, you just step over someone and it's disrespectful, Right. You know, Scottie Pippen, Duncan, and but it was the stepping over of it, right? It's Iverson stepping over. That's disrespectful. So the idea that this man had the nerve to sink his knee into somebody's back after they were handcuffed, put his hands in his pockets and stare at the crowds, not for 30 seconds, not for a minute, for eight minutes and 46 seconds, I don't think there was a human who watched that video outside of maybe the most extreme racist who went, that felt appropriate, fair, anything. 
Yeah. And then, and then, and then the message got stolen by other people wanting to change the narrative and use it as an excuse. But for a moment, that's all people saw. And I think that's what changed us. Yeah, no, for sure. And see, no matter what it, you know, crime, whatever, we hear stories all the time about white gunmen being taken into police custody without being harmed. You know what I'm saying? Like with guns, shooting at the police or fighting yeah. police. Like, that's why I don't think those videos are like funny when people put out like the, you know, the comedy video. Oh, look at this dude. He was, oh, he was watching this police officer. It's like, yeah, but that's not funny to me because like that dude is fighting a police officer who he 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 went he got arrested safely like they they arrested him and you know booked him the right way they did everything by the book that man still has his life so that shit is not funny like when you look at videos like this and this man is posing no threat to anybody especially an armed policeman like your arm bro like this man is doing nothing to you he's handcuffed you got all the power in the world right now over his life and then that's what you choose to do I- so it's like you know, is is that part where it's like that's why I, like go back to the mockery of it. Like, is you're doing this because you know you can, you know you can because that's what the system is telling you you can do. They telling you over and over again that oh, it is just to be another, it is just be another thing on social media for two weeks and then, but it's like, but but this time, like you said, this shit is hitting different because even when you look at you know um one of my one of my friends shared this this morning in the group chat, even like video games like you. NBA 2K, you log on there, they got Black Lives Matter messages, you know, posted uh, or whatever. What You know, it, just just across different platforms. And it's like, I had to ask myself the same thing. Like, why this time? Why not the last, you know what I mean? Like, why not the last 20 cases of this shit happen? Well, Mari, isn't it because of the mental state of the entire country? I think that definitely yeah, plays a part that's, in that's definitely, definitely play a part. Yeah, for sure, for sure. People are looking at everything through a different scope because it's like, damn, we are—you are alone with your thoughts. Like when you would have been out doing things to distract you, you know what I'm saying? Like you now, you're you're forced to face these things like just on a regular basis. So when you see something like this happen, now you got to sit back and be human about this shit. You can't you can't just gloss over this no more. You know what's? Um, I think also is that play. That's a great point, May. Is is uh, I think the symbolism of it. The imagery, the symbolism of a white cop kneeling down on on a black man's neck with the smirk, the symbolism of what that represents, the power that he is abusing in that moment, it was a metaphor. It was a metaphor. And the other thing, the the kneeling itself. Yeah, just the kneeling itself is like, oh, you know, you, you see the black players kneeling on a football field to protest, you know, police brutality. And then it, uh, a, a white officer over a black man is kneeling down on his neck, taking his life. Like, that shit is, you know what I mean? Like, you can't make this up. Like, that's it's disgusting. What also amplified it was LeBron, right afterwards, posted on Instagram, this is why. And it was a side-by-side shot of Colin Kaepernick and the cop kneeling down. Right on George Floyd. So the symbolism of it, the psyche of the nation in this pandemic, um, already on edge and wanting to, wanting to just get your voice heard or have some sort of sense of community after being, you know, sheltered for so long. 
I think the symbol, the imagery of the kneeling and the fact that it was the very thing that Colin Kaepernick was doing was protesting police brutality by kneeling during the national anthem right. and being blackballed by the NBA. I mean, the NFL. And I think all of that came together. And, um, and I think one of the things that, uh, struck me was I texted Trey, uh, black Trey. And I texted him. I said, Hey man, what are some things that I can do to help, you know, my platform or just me as a person? What are some things? And one of the first things that Trey hit me up with was raise your beautiful daughters to live in a peaceful world. And that hit me to my core because I, I realized that this is something that Trey recognizes is not going to be done in our generation. It's going to be the next generation too. Yeah. And, and so when I sat there and I read that, it got me, you know, thinking it's just, you know, we, I, I asked, I called up my parents and I wanted to talk about this and I asked them about, you know, the civil rights movement for them. And did they speak out and did they attend protests and did they, uh, participate in any rallies or any sort of, uh, you know, protests. And so I'm hearing stories from my parents and, then I got to thinking, you know, my daughters are going to ask me one day. And the question is, are we going to be in a better place then? And so I think what Trey right. was trying to get at is how can we pass this on to the next generation and break the chain? And so I hope, you know, when I saw there's this girl on Twitter, this little beautiful black girl running in the streets at a protest. I don't know if you guys saw this at a march. You yeah. I mean, it's the most powerful image I've seen. It was incredible. She's, it seems like she has the fire of like 10 generations in her blood, just screaming for justice. Elle Duncan pointed out something interesting and she said, this is how you end up with generational trauma. The fact, and I didn't even think of, my first reaction was yours, Tom, was it is beautiful, right? To see, you know, a young girl so, so, committed and such a representation of why we need to change what I didn't think of at first. And granted, I knew that like, it's off. Like I was immediately thinking it's awful. She has to even be exposed to this. Right. But what I wasn't thinking of that L pointed out on social media was that is a representation of why young black kids grow up with PTSD that they're not even aware of because you shouldn't have to at four years old. I wasn't exposed to anything like that. And I right. never could have been. And I was exposed to some awful things in my childhood. And they still didn't make me fear leaving the house. Right. <laughs> if anything, leaving the house was my safe place. You know, it got me away right. from the trauma. Imagine that right there, right? That scenario you just said, right? You leaving the house because there's things going on that you want to get away from. And then going into the street and the shit you want to get away from there too. It's like, where do you even go? You know what I'm saying? Like, where, like, where can you go? Other than, like you said, back to Trey's point, all, all we can do is ask that you raise the next generation. This generation is fucking doomed, bro. It's doomed. I hate to be so dark about it, but it's like, look at what's going on. Every people stuck in their ways. A lot of these old ways are still around. Um, the next generation. 
is the one that we can save. And, and, and that might be our purpose. You know what I mean? Like you look up, you know, a lot of times and it's like a lot of things didn't get accomplished in our ancestors, you know, lifetime, but they, they set it up so that we would have it a little bit better. And that's what we're here to do is make sure that they have it a little bit better. So that's what it is. Like to my white friends, that, like that's the part that you can play in it. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't have to necessarily be on the front lines at the, you know, the rallies and this and that. Cause it's a lot of, it's a lot of black people that's not on the front lines at the rally. You don't have to be, I'm not judging anybody that's not going. You got your reasons, but just do your part at home so that, you know, your kids know, listen, this might not be life for you, but this is life for a lot of people. And you're going to have friends that this is life for we humans at the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? Can, can I ask you a question, Mari? Is yeah. There, is there a difference in in all of this, like specific to this racial profiling, the police brutality, all of this, in raising a daughter versus raising a son, are there are there different, more severe fears because black men statistically kind of bear a little bit more of the brunt of this, but it is still highly impacts black women. Is there a difference at all, or no? And maybe that's a callous question. I apologize. If it is, I'm asking because no, no, no. I'm curious. No, no it's, a, it's, it's a valid question. I think that th- there's a difference, but there's no difference in the message that I'm giving to them. I'm giving all of them the same message. You know what I mean? Like you, all of you are black, whether you're a black woman or a black man, like it doesn't, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. But my son is going to get looked at a little differently because men get looked at as more aggressive anyway, regardless so a black man is going to be looked at more aggressive than a black woman would in those situations like that. Because it's like, you know, you, you feel like you got to assert your dominance over a man for some whatever, whatever reasons to feed your ego, you know, some machismo, some, you know, whatever. But the message is the same because, you know, we're all black and we've seen this happen to black women as well. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's not, it's not, it's not just, you know, black men. So to your point, like it's, to your question, the message is just the same across the board. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, if black and you live in America, you have to, you have to fear for your, yourself, your kids, the same, the same exact way, whether, whether you got all boys, all girls, whatever. I think that that's, that's really important. And, and the reason I, I, I asked the question is I think so many times people, um, I know that this can be true with like, you know, Asian kids. It's like, Oh, like, Asian girls can get accepted sometimes easier than Asian men. And I've had this conversation with Prim and, and Carrie Chow, right? Is that sometimes right. for whatever reason, like white girls are more reticent to date Asian guys than white guys or black guys are more red than are more accepting of dating like an Asian woman. Right. Which by the way, so much of this ends up uh, getting played out as we start hitting junior high and high school and dating comes into everything. Cause I do genuinely think when kids are younger, it, the parents don't necessarily verbalize things until kids get to dating age. And it's like, right. well, you're, it's okay to be friends, but I just right. don't want you bringing them home to date. Like it, it, and it's disgusting and I've been present for it, but that's why I asked the question. But yeah. I, I, I also wanted to to bring something else up that I'm curious to hear from Tom on, um, you know, I spoke to a meme last night for about an hour and it was a really enlightening conversation because 
on the one hand, and I spoke to Trey this morning in the same way, I am so impressed. Like, and I mean that because it's not about them saying something. It's the level of depth and insight that they're able to provide. And then the consistency of effort that they've been putting in over the past couple of weeks. You know what I mean? Not giving up, calling out NBA teams, calling out NBA owners, calling out, you know, random fans who tweet well-meaning, but often wrong commentary and doing all of that. But I also told him, I was like, you look tired. Like, is this, is this tiring? Is this exacerbating? Is it, is it hard? Like, like, even though I know the answer, you know, a mean, a mean is never one to be like, yeah, man, this shit's tiring. Like just, just to complain. But I think what I wanted to hear, because I think it's important for people to have this sense of it's okay to say it is it's tiring because it's endless. Right. But at the same time, they have this media platform. And Tom, you wrote a great article talking about there. Sorry, not article. I guess it was your video essay um, about the teams and whatnot. And the effort to get this stuff right and to cover it the right way. I do want to say, like, white, black, and different, the effort it takes to do it right is a lot because there's emotion in it. And Tom, I know you really care about this stuff. You're not doing it just because it's the right thing to do, you're doing it because right. it impacts you. And so I do want to hear from, from you guys about what you've seen in the media space, because I do think it's important to talk about how amazing some of our leaders in the sports world and our friends have been at dealing with something that I wish they didn't have to deal with. And it's not the first time and won't be the last time, but something has felt bigger about this moment. Talking with Amin has really helped me opened my eyes to kind of subliminal subverting racism or at least insensitivity that might not be like a knee to a black man's neck, but it might also be part of the problem. And I was like listening to him say, you know, all these NBA statements, there's a disappointing lack of the word police or police brutality is that NBA teams were quick to put out statements that had, you know, references to systemic racism and equal rights. And, you know, we want to, we want to make changes. And they mentioned George Floyd, but what they didn't mention was the way he died was that he was killed by police And the connective tissue, the common denominator of a lot of the names that teams would invoke in these statements, these team corporate statements, was the fact that they were killed by police. But nowhere in their statements did they mention the police or law enforcement. And so I, being the researcher that I am, that I can't help myself, I just, I went to every team statement that was put out by an NBA team and it counted up to 28 out of the 30. And I copied, I transcribed all the statements because some of them were in graphics. So they were JPEG. So I had to actually like type it out into a word document and it came out to 5,485 words. That's, that was a, a lot of words. And I was curious, I hit control F police. So this is 28 statements, 5,000 words. How many of them were police? Zero. 
and it was very close to zero. Mari, it was five. Yeah. There, were, there was five instances in all of those statements about police brutality. And, and it probably wasn't even directly like saying this is what happened. Like, yes, it was more. It was just, yeah. It was more like we were going to work with our uh, our government, our uh, leaders in the community, and right. the law enforcement. Like uh, some of them weren't even direct. This was police brutality. Yeah. And so what I wanted to conv- I was I was kind of shocked by that. Is that you know, they're writing these statements because police brutality, but they can't say it. They can't say it. And so what that tells me is that there's some sort of reason why these corporations are not willing to go there. And so it's good. And I, and I mentioned this in the video, it's good that these organizations are putting out statements, but we can do better. Because they're not oh, calling sure. out the police. Like, Mari, if you're the police department of the Minneapolis city police, like, you're reading this document and you're not getting called out. And you know what you're saying? We're good. I was just about to say, they're sitting back like, Whew, oh, shit, that was close. Like, boy, I thought <laughs> we was, you know what I mean? Because people love to condemn a group of people for the actions of one person, except when it's the police. Except when it's the police. You see a black, you know, a, a, a bald man, black man, he did this. So now when you see black men, you got to think, if he did this, this is what they're capable You're of. So but right. the police are the only yeah. ones that get the benefit of the doubt, where it's like you see a police officer murder a black man in cold blood in the streets. Oh, man, but not all of them. I oh. wish we got the same benefit of the doubt. I really do. I really, I really do. I really wish yeah. that because you saw one black man one time in your life, still some insignificant shit that you didn't think we was all thieves or we was all thugs and robbers and this, that, and the third. I, I really wish that this was what we got in America, but it's not. Yeah. It's the police that get that benefit of the doubt since Rodney King shit. You know what I'm saying? Like this shit is still going on. You can, you can, you can, this is the mockery I'm talking about. You can, Record them doing this. Have video of them doing this. Not just word of mouth, not just hearsay. Video of them doing it, smirking at us, laughing at us, and still say, oh, man, but they're not all like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that. It, it, that's the part that I'm saying, like, it's, like, it's disgusting, man. Like, it's really sickening. Mari, I will take it one step further and say white people. If a white shooter shoots yep. up a school— yep. No one's saying this is a reflection of of white American violence or terrorism. It's never about that. Even though we do the, all of them, we literally, as a race, yeah. do all of them. All of yeah, them. Yeah, and you know that they get never called. An Those indictment. dudes get called. Oh man, he was a lone wolf. He was this. He was troubled. That's another part of it too. They always want to explore, like the white shoe. They want to explore his childhood and his background <laughs> and his trauma. But the black, Privilege. but the black kids. The, these are babies. A black 14-year-old boy in America right now that committed a crime will be condemned for his crime, and he will be sent away forever, if not murdered. But nobody would care about what he'd been through. They wouldn't care if he had his dad was out of the house, caught up in the system, mom was on, whatever it was yeah. that was going on in his life, or his, or he saw his brother get murdered. Nobody cares about the like the trauma of black men. That's the part that I that I really want to get to as just a people, just period, is caring about the trauma from black people. I, I don't want to just say black men, black people, because we all go through this. Just because 
you know, this this thing happened to this black boy when he was a boy. That shit can bother him for life because in our community, we don't talk about, it's, you know, it's frowned upon to talk about, you know, depression or mental health issues and stuff like that. I want to, you know, I want to push that conversation forward. I want to like really, you know, and, and we, I think we are at a space today in society where it's like talking about your feelings and talking about depression and anxiety and things like that are more welcome than it has been in the past. But just when, when these things are covered, the, the, the black suspect, you know, the black victim, even in his death, he's still on trial. They never talk about the good of him or, you know, oh, man, he had potential or he did this or whatever. It's the, it's the white shooters. It's the white shooters that's like, oh, man, this guy was troubled, man. You know, let's let's have a heart here. Yeah. Well, fuck this victim. <laughs> so, Mari, when I, when I was doing this study about the statements, what I realized is 75% of the NBA players are – identify as black or African-American mm-hmm. eight of the 30 NBA coaches identify as black or African-American mm-hmm. five of the GMs, one of the owners. And you know, what's see crazy what I'm getting at? See what I'm number, getting at? You, you know, what's crazy when you say eight and five and shit like that, that's, that's what would be considered progress. That would be considered progress, right? You know what I'm saying? That's how crazy it is because it's like before it was one, maybe two, maybe. Now it's like, oh, shit, you got eight? Oh, man, you, okay, it's looking up. You know, you look at, you look at the NFL or something, and it's, you know, you count how many black coaches you got in the NFL. I'll just end with this is like when you look at those team statements, how many of them were written by African-American or black people? (laughs) The strongest, Ben, the strongest statement put out by a team was the Washington Wizards because they said, here is what our players think. Yeah. And shout out to David Aldridge and Waz for doing the pod with John Wall. They talked to him about that. That was a really good listen. They put out a statement from the players, the only NBA team to do that to put out a statement from the players. And I don't think it's a coincidence guys that the strongest language, the most direct, they, they said the word assassination of people of color. They use the phrase or the phrase assassination of people of color and the phrase, uh, abuse of power by law enforcement. They were so direct and to the point, And I don't think it's a coincidence that it was actually black people who were writing that. Yep. And I think more of that needs to happen, not just in the NBA, but just as a society is lifting up those voices and not having it sanitized by people who are afraid to say what it really is. I'm going to let Maury have the last word, but I'm going to I'm going to wrap it up with this on, on my end. Making this true to the dad pod and about being a parent. I think the thing that Maury and Tom, you guys have talked about that I think is universally true is our responsibility to acknowledge advantages and disadvantages that exist and appropriately by age educate our kids about them, right? You don't need to tell your five-year-old that they have privilege, right? At that age, you can teach them to just be a good person and to respect and like everyone. But as they get older, right, it's about teaching them how to acknowledge it and how to fight against it. I hope one day I get passed over for a job for a black person genuinely because I'm at a point of senior leadership in my industry. And I want 
more black leaders because my voice fighting for them is bullshit when there are people of that ethnicity, of that race who did not get the opportunities I had. And I didn't even come from a good home for the most part, but I still got opportunities and benefits of the doubt because I was white. And I want those opportunities. I want young black kids, minority kids, mixed race kids, and honestly, poor white kids as well, but predominantly those minority groups to feel like they have real opportunity in this world. And that doesn't just mean fiscal, economic. It means opportunity to live and be fulfilled. And right now, that's just not there. One thing that I want, you know, when you start talking about change, you know, and that change starts at like, just like the root of some of these problems is I want people to start being more conscious and aware of subtle racism. Black women for years, black women forever, they dye their hair a different color, they get the cornrows, they're wearing the big earrings and the, the loud lipstick. But when a white woman does it, it's fashion or it's, it's trendy, it's moving, it's pushing things forward. When a black woman does it, it's this ghetto and it's this, you know, it's that. Stuff like that, like start looking at that and start really really understanding, like, where is this coming from? Where is that energy coming from that you like it when this person does it, but you don't like it when they do it? It's the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, just little things like that. Those little things just get skipped over so much that it's like you brush it under the rug so long that it just grows into a bigger problem, and now you, it turns into it turns into this. And and also, I want more black people to stop. If you, if you grow up wanting to pursue a, a career— and you want to be a police officer because you want to, you know, make change. I'm not going to frown upon that because, like, that's how you make change. You know what I mean? Like, you get in there, you do something about it. So if you really have a passion to do that, you should. We should change the narrative on that. Obviously, you don't look at that badge and you don't think, like, you know, because of the experiences, you know, that you went through. But there are some good people some good black men, black women that wear that uniform because they want to make change. They might have hated that badge growing up, but they probably thought to themselves, you know what? I'm going to get in there and I'm going to make some change. You know what I mean? Like, and So if, if you have somebody in your life that's like that and they're going on that path, try to steer them in the right direction. You know what I mean? Make sure they're doing it for the right reasons. You know what I mean? Like it's, That shit is important. It really is important. Representation is important in a lot of fields, and that's one of them. Thank you, Mark. I don't think we could end on anything more meaningful. I I appreciate all of you guys. Maze, thank you for always taking the time. Maury, Tom, we're going to lock this in and get back to weekly because... Yeah, yeah, for sure. We need it. But, but right now, to, to everybody out there who's feeling pain, there is no wrong way to express it. We are here for you as best as we can.
our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.